Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Hello and welcome to the Pants Party. I am your host, Harrison Starr, aka HD underscore Star, aka Boiler Hawk, joined as always by Ben Ross. Ben, what is up, my friend? Uh, you know, not much. We we got our MacBook back. I know you all were super interested to um, <clears throat> be updated on that. Just need a new battery, you know. I got off the phone with Tim Cook um, late last night and said that that's all we needed. And they had already gone ahead and done the uh, switch without even asking me. I think it was an accident, but <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's fine. So I got, uh, you know, <clears throat> I brought it in Saturday morning and was able to pick it up Monday night, kind of unheralded. How about that, Genius Bar? I, I guess I know. it must be one of those situations where maybe they've tightened things up in terms of since they don't have to deal with all the idiots asking questions and just playing with the Apple products there, they can just, you know, be geniuses in the back, the back room. It was honestly like going into a Berlin nightclub um, during, co- I went to like their flagship store, which is on Michigan Avenue. It costs like $8 million and they only had, they only had the vestibule of the store open. Like you can, they had the entire store closed off and I had to like, <clears throat> they didn't let anybody wait inside obviously because there's just no room. And so it's like, you go up and there's this just like, literally I got, my appointment was at 8.30 a.m. Saturday. There it was, there's a bouncer there, <laughs> just a big security <laughs> guard, <laughs> literally with an earpiece. Like we've got Ross for 8.30, through, went through a revolving door. And then right there is, a, I mean, a, a Mac technician on a folding card table. And then to pick, as, to pick it up is even funnier. You go through like a different vestibule. One, one's Mac, one's Genius Bar and one is Pickups. And for the pickup like vestibule, they had uh, the person working was like, uh, had sunglasses on in there and said like, Ross is here to pick up his MacBook. And then I get taken through like another little room and just this <laughs> 30 year old hipster in a beanie and horn rim glasses <laughs> takes out of a briefcase, lays it down on the on the folding card table, and I sign a piece of paper and pay the hundred. Actually, kind of reasonable for for like for a new battery, hundred ninety dollars, two twenty with Chicago tax. I don't oh. know what. Absolutely insane. Um, I don't know what a lithium ion battery goes for these days off the market, but I was expecting to have to buy a new MacBook. So I'm happy. Yeah, I think that's where Apple gets you sometimes. Is like they they scare the heck out of you, thinking that you're going to have to lay down a cool fifteen hundred dollars just to be like, I I need to stay as a MacBook guy or a Mac guy. And when you come out looking rosy with the two twenty. Uh, you're, you're, you're fine with that. And like, I mean, I get it. It makes sense. And it's like, I, I, uh, I've been, I just have a shitty Dell for work and I've been using mm. it over the weekend to like consume my news addiction. 
And like after having <laughs> like that, like I always thought like, you know, if I maybe I'd get an HP, I wouldn't get a Mac. If I needed a new computer, I'd get something else. I'd get away from the Apple tray. But it's like after even 48, 72 hours of using Windows over Mac, it's like, and it's so much better. Just the screen itself. It's crazy how big of a difference having like a really nice screen has, even if you're just reading articles. Um, and then just the interface is actually, you know, it it's intuitive, not counterintuitive compared to Adele. I can actually drag and drop things. I don't know. You get what used to what you're used to. We had uh, a, a MacBook Air briefly. Um, this is during last football season. And like we're messing around with it or whatever. And then just per usual, like one of our dogs knocks a Coca-Cola into the keyboard of it. And just fries it so it's like well i'm not we, we just paid all this money for the the thing i'm not gonna do that so just waited and waited and waited and was using my work laptop to do the blogging stuff and it just didn't really work and i like playing a, a computer game here and there civilization six what up and it was just killing the macbook when i would try that the macbook air so i'm like you know what i'll i'll make the hop over to HP and it works like I mean to your point it's not super crisp from a uh, you know visual standpoint it's just a big ass <laughs> laptop just huge but it gets the job done and you know the the game isn't crashing whenever I I play even though it's been a minute since I've played and I do like you know it's nicer to blog on something that I can you know feel comfortable about you know, multitasking on versus uh, here's all my work stuff on, on the same computer. So, you know, it, it works, it works, but I, I wish, I wish we could do the Mac. It's just like, eh. How new was the MacBook Air after your dog had toasted? It was it? within three months, I think. So, so it, isn't there a 90 day warranty on all Apple products? Um, me we today. bought it not from an Apple store because there are no Apple stores here. So I do not think it it would have fallen into that window. Maybe it was oh, just outside of it. It, it was either because I, I do remember looking at it and I think it all like we bought it in July and this was after the Penn State game, not right after it, but shortly after it. And I think that would have been eh, maybe it was close to the the 30 day or the 90 day, but not. I'm sure you explored your options. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I had my first Christmas this weekend, Ben, and while, uh, getting a, a refurbished laptop, basically what you had, um, I got a burr grinder for coffee. Oh yeah. And let me tell you, <laughs> you have never grinded coffee until you've ground your coffee with a burr grinder because we have like the the tiny thing where it's just like zzz, zzz, and that works but i didn't realize honestly how fine you needed to grind your grounds to get them coarse even for a french press so i did that this morning i put everything in the little hopper and like set it to three and it just goes zzz, perfect everything uniform and then i get my french press coffee ready perfect i'm like you know what i'm gonna do 
I'm going to do what Ben Ross does because that's what his dad does. The biggest coffee snob that I know Tersh secondarily <laughs> is I, after getting the coffee going in the French press, I heated up another thing in my uh, electric coffee pot, my electric water boiler, whatever. And I did the thing where you warm up your coffee cup with the hot water. So did it make a difference? So unnecessary. I, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, it it was as good as I've ever had a French press. And will I be doing it again? Um, maybe not, because Christina doesn't like the French press. And we are a uh, drip coffee um, operation at this point. So I'll use it for the drip coffee. I will definitely do that. And cannot wait. It was it was a lot of fun. Love the burr grinder. Can you actually taste the difference, you think? Um, I mean, I think the biggest difference um, is, of all the things, is probably the uh, blooming of the grounds. I do think of the things that are ridiculous to do, um, I think the blooming of the grounds where you get it so that everything yeah, kind that, of that's looks what you do with grinder. You can uh, bloom the grounds with any... I blew my we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I think it, it had been so long since I've had um, non like store brand coffee, and to be fair, the store brand coffee that we get is delicious in Texas. HEB um, San Antonio blend. It's like got a little bit of cocoa, a little bit of cinnamon, very tasty. Um, but it's it'd been so long since I had like the the Hout coffee. Um, that I'm not sure I could necessarily tell a difference other than, oh, this is actually really good coffee. Um, we'll see. I bought a two-pound bag um, of Onyx coffee that I have to go pick up tomorrow that I'm very excited to, to start getting into. What is Onyx? Onyx is the local, they call themselves a coffee lab, um, and they have dozens of... Um, I don't know. It's like, you know, craft coffee selections, beans from all different areas. And sometimes they're just ridiculously expensive, like 60, 60 bucks for 10 ounces. That's ridiculous. I've, I, I cannot imagine paying that much for coffee. Um, but I did, you know, spend a little bit for the, the two pounds because eh, it comes out to, to a decent price. Um, at least no different than kind of their normal blend. So it's like, uh, I guess they're kind of renowned. Um, I don't know. I didn't know them before moving to Northwest Arkansas. And, you know, I like them. I've never heard of them. I'm looking at their website now. It's sleek. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, they are based out of um, Rogers, Arkansas is where their headquarters technically is now. And, you know, it's pretty cool. Like, I mean, you know, all the stuff about not being able to go and plant yourself anywhere kind of stinks because they do have a couple of different locations that are fun to hang out in. And do I miss it? A little bit. Um, but it's nice to, you know, get the beans and um, treat myself to, to that coffee every now and then. So I'm I'm excited. Well, I, I, I don't think I'll ever do the the warming of the cup ever again though that that's a, a ridiculous <laughs> added step but i felt i felt good doing it so teach their own i suppose that's interesting yeah let's which blend did you get 
I got the Krampus. Okay. I was looking at that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, treat, treat myself, treat my, my family. They're coming in this weekend. So we'll probably, I'll probably, you know, cut the bag a little bit, add a little bit of. <laughs> Goddamn deal. Uh, add, add, a, add a little bit of a, a non Krampus blend beans to it. No. Um, Try and thin the soup out a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. No, but it'll be good. It'll be good. Uh, um, I got my brother their Advent Day calendar of 25 different beans of coffee because um, he's, you know, living the, the life you are, Ben, as a single guy, not in Chicago, but in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm like, let's let's give him something to, to really enjoy every day. Um, so... He's making his way through that, and I keep asking him, "What's what's your favorite one, Carter? What's your favorite one?" So I I can do it. But um, the Krampus is one that that I liked last year that I'm excited to take it again this year. So I'll I'll run that down. I got my sister and her my in law uh, trade coffee subscription last year for Christmas, and they were not really appreciative of it. They're the type of people they just like only they don't like trying new things. They only like their favorite. <laughs> beans i was i was there for thanksgiving and i forgot i got them and they had like six bags of the of these coffees from around the country they hadn't even opened because they found one brand that they like and they ordered literally a five pound bag of it every six weeks <laughs> and that's just all they're content they i get sick i need to try i i, I need um it takes me about a pound i go through about a pound a week i need to try a pound every a new i need to rotate every other week rather i can't drink the same thing two weeks in a row otherwise i yeah. get really sick of it yeah, I'm I'm in the middle. Um, I like having my thing every now and then, and then. Uh, but I, I like the San Antonio blend. It works. It works, and it's we, <laughs> we get it from Christina's family. They'll send it all the time, and it's like ah, uh, <laughs> we get her. Her grandma goes in and like gets like twenty bags of this coffee, and it's like, well, uh, I'm not gonna go and get new coffee when there's a ton of this coffee to to drink. So. We'll do, see. You still get, do you get HEB stuff delivered, do you? Because um, you can do that, can't you? I believe so. Uh, we do not necessarily, although we do like their green enchilada sauce. Um, and her grandma brought us like 20 cans of this. So like she's at the checkout counter uh-huh. with all this coffee, all these green chili cans of enchilada sauce, and like this guy at the checkout counter is wondering what the heck's wrong with with this little old woman why do you need all this stuff oh i gotta gotta send all it to to my grandkids it works it works i'll take it i'll take it so ben this (laughs) um to the gonzaga game i mean we it's been a i would say uh an exciting game uh although iowa did not win um I guess your your very first takeaway from um, from the Iowa Gonzaga game ninety nine eighty eight. You know, what, what do you think? Um, I mean, my, my takeaway is Gonzaga is really really good. I think Suggs is for real. I mean, Mark Few has been there. I, I they kept on showing twenty three seasons. Was that it? I mean, yeah. they're they're a great program and. Suggs asserted himself as, a, I mean, without question, a lottery pick, if not potentially the first round pick, right? Um, and that's not, I mean, that's not really my 
that that goes to my point. That is, I think <clears throat> I was thinking about the North, North Carolina game. And I think Iowa was clearly a better team than North Carolina, and Iowa played like ass for ten minutes in the North Carolina game and still won by thirteen. Right. Iowa, by no means, was a better team than Gonzaga. Um, Eleven point loss. I still think it was probably a little bit closer than that. But Iowa played for ass. If we're being realistic, like between twenty eight and thirty minutes, I think. Uh, maybe not that much. Maybe that's say I think twenty five over one half of basketball was complete ass from Iowa, and I think that's a little bit unfair. Uh, but I, I'm basically basing that off of their shooting um, and how poor it was, their free throws, and not being able to get a stop defensively after when you really needed it on ten straight possessions. Um, and the, the Iowa played like so. Iowa played let's say over one half of I think bad basketball. And still kept it relative. Like, I think they brought it within ten with eight minutes left, when they were down, you know, twenty-two at one point. So, uh, I mean, that's just my takeaway. It's I don't, I don't think anybody's overreacting to loss. Really, I don't think anybody was mad at Fran or any of the players or the way it happened. We just Gonzaga is really, really good. And we only dropped what one spot right in the ranking for two spots. Yeah, I think that sometimes, like, it's nice to get that cold water because I think there was maybe a little um, overreaction in terms of, oh, the defense isn't good. Well, the defense did exactly what Ken Palm predicted it to do, just with a higher possession count. So I've never really been concerned about the defense, especially against a, a team like Gonzaga. I think what it does do is it gives you a margin for error. Cause like, I, I think you, you said one half of basketball and, and well, at first I thought, ah, maybe that's a little unfair, but you look at the 10 minute mark um, of the first half to basically the 10 minute mark of um, the second half. And, you know, I mean, it's, it went from that, that one point game to, um, you know, like you said, at one point, a 20 point game. So, the fact that Iowa was able to climb back in it, I do think against a worse team, they have more than kind of the puncher's chance um, of getting down 20 and then coming back just because you you look at this, this game flow on ESPN and it's unbelievable how good Gonzaga is. Like they almost, um, it, it's just hard to string a bunch of stops together. I remember at one point, um, it said Iowa made six out of their last seven shots and Gonzaga missed eight straight shots. And I kept waiting for like that moment to happen and to feel like they closed that 14 point gap to six or four points. But because they just hammered Iowa, I think to me, their biggest weakness right now is the defensive rebounding um, Iowa's because you, if you have a stretch like that, when you're going up against Gonzaga and they're missing eight straight shots, that needs to be six or seven possessions. That can't happen over three or four possessions because, you know, they're just going to come right back and weather the storm and um, stretch that lead back to double digits and maintain that lead. So to me, I, I share your, your takeaway that Gonzaga looked like the best team. They've looked like the best team in the four games that they've played. Um, part of the West Virginia game happening without Jalen Suggs and, and Jalen Suggs. I mean, he's the story for me. Um, I thought kind of going into that game, he was the clearest uh, advantage from a position positional standpoint. 
Um, I Garza did what Garza does. Wieskamp had a really good game. Um, and I think both of them outplayed kind of their positional counterparts and Timmy and uh, uh, Corey Kispert. But <laughs> Jalen Suggs, man, no answer for that. And he had seven turnovers, but that's not really the takeaway for me. I mean, the takeaway, he had like one steal where he played defensive back. Um where he looked like a cornerback taking it for a pick six. And then the block, oh, my God. <laughs> like, it was one of the most insane plays I've ever seen. And when that happened, it was like, here he is. He made just this stupid mistake, a freshman mistake, um, but immediately erases it. And it's like, wow. <laughs> I, like, I think Fran was in early on him. Um I don't know what he had been like from a ranking standpoint throughout his high school career, but um, it's not like it's a what, wow, what if Iowa had him. But, um, man, you just see what he's capable of, and it's just holy smokes. I do think that the thing I was most excited about from an Iowa perspective is I think it was maybe a little bit of a Joe Toussaint coming out party. Um, he had some of the mistakes that he's wont to do. But when he got going, it was unstoppable, the pick and roll with him and Luca Garza. I think it was three or four straight possessions where he finished at the rim um, and really kept Iowa's offense afloat that way. He had such a quiet 14 points. Um, <clears throat> like, looking back even, it's like, I, I forgot. You know, it's – you think – you want to imagine a game where he plays more than 18 minutes, I think, uh, especially with the way <clears throat> some <clears> – <throat> Uh, somebody who's playing ahead of him with shooting the ball and handling the ball. Um, we, I think it's early, so I'm not <clears throat> nervous yet, but I think this is the second game where Fran has put out a lineup on that floor. It's like, who's going to defend? Not only is who's going to score the ball, who's going to put the ball in the basket, who's going to keep the ball from getting in the basket. Um, you know, we, you know, I don't like to knock on him, but this, you know, <clears throat> people are just laying bricks out there. And it's tough. No, no coach looks smart when his guys aren't making easy shots. Like there are so right. many, so many. So, and like, you know, John Bohannon was missing shots with nobody around him. And he normally makes those types of shots with a hand in his face. Uh, Jack Nungy couldn't make anything within six feet. And he, he's, he's nearly seven feet tall. So it, it's just, I mean, Nungy couldn't make anything, honestly. Uh it's just, I think, you know, cold night is shooting, weird, weird arena, uh, weird looking floor, nobody in the stands. Um, <clears throat> and the shots weren't falling, we thought, and they were absolutely draining for Gonzaga in the first half. What, didn't they in the first half, like 60% from three? And, and uh, end, of the game, end of the game, 50% from three. You're not going to, especially the volume they're shooting at, they, you're not going to lose a game. Uh, when you're shooting that hot 13 and 26, it's just, there's nothing you can do uh, for that. So again, it's not like, you know, like I said, they were down 22 at one point. Did it, you know, they were down 20, I think they were down 20 to Tennessee in 2018 and that, and they nearly came back and won uh, in that NCAA tournament. Uh, so it's not like, I don't think, you know, Iowa is totally outclassed or anything. It's just, this is one, Gonzaga's a one seed and Iowa, is a it, Gonzaga is like number one overall seed, yeah. And Iowa is a fringe, you know, maybe a fringe one seed, two seed, three seed. Yeah, I mean, I think the the big takeaway is exactly that. It's 
we know what it looks like to play the best team now. Um, and from uh, Iowa's perspective going forward is they're going to play a lot of these fringe two-seed teams in the conference. Um, Illinois, they've dropped three games so far, um, but they're kind of in that class. I think you have to talk about Rutgers being as a potential two-seed. I think uh, Wisconsin, of course, and Michigan State, dumb loss to Northwestern. But I was going to be playing a lot of these teams that are going to be fighting for the same seeds as them. And if Iowa wants to go deep in uh, March, it's e- I mean, it's simple math, right? Easier to do that from uh, a one or two line than a, the three line. So um, having that experience right now is, is really a, a big deal. And we're recording this before um, the Purdue game. We should have kind of a, a, a recap of the Purdue game uh, after this. Um, but, you know, hopefully it's, it's a good thing. Um, they learned from it. They learned from the the four losses they had against Purdue the last three years. I mean, some real, real disappointing losses in my opinion, um, that, that I need to go back and look at for, for, uh, kind of a preview, um, for tomorrow. So this is editing in, in real time. Um, but really it's, it's good to know what it takes to play against and beat the best team in the country. And I think they need to learn from it and apply it to how they can be better. Cause I think the defense people don't like my opinion that the defense was fine, but ultimately I think, um, you know, the defense comes from really good offense in this iteration of Fran. And I think you raised this point a little bit about, uh, um, you know, going with Bohan and Ernanji over um, whoever's behind them. To me, I think a main takeaway is Fran needs to feel comfortable surrounding um, Luca Garza with kind of athleticism and defense to protect him. Because I think if um, you go with Toussaint, you go with Frederick, you go with Wieskamp uh, and Garza, I think, you know, there's enough shooting with Garza on the floor that, it helps themselves from an offensive perspective. So what's the right um, fifth guy out there from a defensive perspective? My personal opinions, maybe Murray, but he looked a little too small for the moment yesterday. Hopefully he learns from that. And I think he will. Um, but to me, that's kind of the the big thing. If it's Bohannon, cause he's making shots, go with him. But uh, I, I think kind of the closing four of the five that I like is, is Toussaint. Um, Frederick, Wieskamp, and Garza. I, I, I thought, you know, Toussaint had three turnovers, but that's the downside of him. I think if you look at, you know, if you look at a short shot in the shot clock as a turnover, Iowa has plenty of guys who kind of turn the ball over in that respect. So Toussaint having three turnovers doesn't bother me quite as much, but, you know, that they lead to potential runouts a little more than than shots can sometimes. Yeah, I remember one of those turnovers just being, I, I mean, none of the turnover, turnovers were good, but I remember one late in the game was just um, after Gonzaga scored, just turned it over right on, uh, right under our own basket. Uh, you know, like you mentioned Murray. He, I think he only played, he only played five minutes and he did look a little bit like you, I think you said, it's small for the moment. What was what you say? He did. He he did look small out there, um, and just wasn't, you know, 
he I don't even Pat McCaffrey struggled. He he hasn't um, had the performance against a big team quite yet, like I, that I'd like to see. But I think it will come eventually in the Big Ten season, hopefully. Um, there aren't, and, you know. I think Purdue is a good team to start uh, the season with. Uh, I'm glad it's not you know Illinois or Michigan State or even Rutgers. I guess we find ourselves <laughs> saying. How, um, even Minnesota is not looking like a total pushover. Which, right. God, I know. Um, <laughs> it's Patino, a good coach. Who knows? Uh, you know, the, the, my thing is, I'm just not worried. I'm not. I'm just. I'm just absolutely not worried. There's no reason to panic. I don't think anybody is panicking, um, or even overreacting. Really, it's just an early season basketball game. I, I'm not sure. I mean, what we can do uh, with it beyond that, it, you know, it already happened three days ago. Right, right. I, I think that the thing that always kind of puts this into perspective for me sometimes is, at least for this year, you look at uh, um, just the proportion of the schedule, and one out of 27 games is the equivalent of basically 15 to 20 minutes of a football game. So would we bend ourselves out of shape for – 20 minutes of a football game uh depends we have and we have um (laughs) but uh, i think um you know you get you get 40 45 minutes to make up for those 15 to 20 minutes so um you know i I think we'll talk about purdue tomorrow and and add it to this but I, i agree i think it's a a really good measuring stick for iowa to show how they can play against the team they've struggled with. So more to come on that, Ben. Um, we, we wanted to go ahead and shift gears to kind of general bowl talk in football because um, Iowa has the Music City Bowl coming up against Missouri, and Ben has an email to break live on the podcast. What's Breaking. this, Ben? <clears throat> This got this one minute ago. Um, Iowa football pauses in-person activities. Uh, I mean, do you want the Gary Barter statement? Gary, do you want the Barter statement or the Ferentz statement? For, oh, the Barta one. I mean, that's absolutely what I want. Barta said, as I shared this morning, last week we experienced an increase in positive cases within our football program. Our student athletes returned to testing today, and based on additional positive tests and contact tracing. Our medical team has made the decision to pause in-person activities for a minimum of five days. We will continue to follow Big Ten Conference medical protocol and participate in daily rapid antigen testing. We feel confident in our ability to participate in the Trans-Perfect Music City Bowl. So you, you're going to go. You're not. You're going to not practice for five days, and then practice for what, three days, and then play the game. One, two, three, four, five. So they will practice. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, travel to Nashville on Tuesday, play the game on Wednesday. Yeah, so that's three three days of practice, I think. Huh. Well, then. Kirk's statement makes it sound like it was up to the players. Late this afternoon, I met with our player leadership group, and they overwhelmingly wanted to play in the bowl game. We'll continue to prepare and put our game plan together. Uh, using the technology we have available, okay. <laughs> while our first priority is health and safety and players, staff, whatever, our goal is to play and complete, compete, not complete, on December 30th. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I guess we'll 
hope that the positive tests do not continue to increase like I suspect that yep. <laughs> just the math says it'll happen. Um, because I think you just do the math from today, the 21st, and pretty much every time a Big Ten program has paused activities, it's taken out at least two weeks. Um, so if you backdate, because he said five days, right? I mean, that's the the kind of dirty little secret of what he fudged there, five instead of the seven, because that's what they had done in the past with other Big Ten schools as a seven. But let's, this feels like a coin flip at best to happen. <laughs> I, I, I mean, short of maybe they send 35, 40 players and, you know, Iowa could get away with that if it's the right 35 or 40. But man, that, whew, we'll see. I guess, you know, this is fitting that you know, I was going to come on here and trash Mizzou. I was going to come on here and trash this bowl game. I think this bowl game sucks. I think Missouri sucks. I think um, I would have loved to go to the Music City Bowl in a normal time. I've never been in Nashville. I think it'd be a fun bowl game. But, I mean, that's looking at Missouri got the doors blown off them against Alabama first game of the year. What can you do? Got shit on by Tennessee uh, the next week. Uh, beat LSU by four. Congrats. Uh, beat Kentucky by 10, lost to Florida by 30, um, and then beat South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Arkansas while losing to Georgia and Mississippi State <clears throat> uh, to close the year. 5-5 five and five in the SEC East, third overall. Um, like, I wasn't excited to play this game. Not at all. I can't name it. And uh, I'm like, their ESPN thing, just since their leading tackler is opting out of the game to prepare uh, Nick Bolton. Um like this doesn't didn't get me excited at all. The, the bowls overall this year don't save for the New Year Six stuff. And even, I mean, what's the point of watching Alabama Notre Dame unless you're a masochist? Uh, which I mean, most of us are. It, it's just <laughs> <laughs> like you know, I won't even be sad if Iowa doesn't participate in this bowl game. Um, like it's it's whatever, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I'll. My perspective was it, it felt great getting the eight in. Like I, I think that that's where it was, and then what happened with the Michigan game getting canceled. It, I just was kind of setting myself up to be like, okay, like that happens. Um, maybe they get a bowl game in, and I think you hit this right on the head, Ben. In terms of in a normal year, this is kind of like the ultimate in a normal year type of thing. It. In my opinion, I think um, maybe Missouri is a little better in a normal year. Maybe they're not. I don't know. But I think having the border war, quote unquote, storyline is a good storyline in a normal year. Nashville is a very fun city to go to in a normal year. And I would very strongly consider going to it if it were a normal year. Like, I think that. That's that was the the one bowl game I've kind of had circled in terms of like ah what's one that I would actually go to just because you know it's the only one kind of in driving distance from me um, that I could maybe swing you know drive there one day stay a night spend the go to the game come back the day after the game but like I mean it's just like it's a 
in a normal year, it, it just feels like a um, what if in that sense. And, and really, it's indicative of kind of the whole bowl structure. Um, I was I, we were talking a little bit before this, and and really the only two like two or three games stick out to me. Um, as potentially interesting ones to watch. Will I watch more? Probably. I'm a degenerate. But um, there just aren't many compelling matchups. And it goes into the New Year's Six because, you know, four of those games ultimately don't mean anything to me. They, they don't necessarily further the narrative um, one way or the other. Um, I was reading Dr. Min's piece from last week. And I think it's it's really interesting because you you go back through what did college football like 40 years ago, because this is what we're talking about 40 years ago. And it's been so regionalized um, in the past. And the Bulls offered an opportunity for top 10 teams to play each other and be crowned a mich- mythical national championship. So what you have now is you have the four teams that you already know can win, where what Doc proposes is you take the six bowl games and four of those winners are the ones that you put in the playoff. And now what you've created instead of two relevant games with a third national championship game is six potentially relevant games because each team participating in that can find a path to being in the the playoffs, so to speak. Um, and it elevates just getting to a Rose Bowl back to kind of where it used to be. Now, I mean, who knows what happens? Like, it's just going to be the college football playoff semifinal because <laughs> they moved it from Pasadena to Dallas. I mean, this is the, the just utterly ridiculous um, and really... It's funny that Barta's in charge of it because maybe a better guy or gal could do a better job, but we just knew that there there is the quote-unquote worst possible outcome was probably going to happen with Barta if there was one short of these games getting canceled. I mean, that, that that's on the table, right? That is on the table. Uh, the problem is I don't... I don't want to, as much as I hate Gary Barda, I don't want to lay all the blame on his feet, but I guess no. we can, because we, I guess we can, and we should, because, well, it's, I mean, it's the same way people, I think, are unfairly blaming Kevin Warren for this disaster yep. of a Big Ten season. Um, it's like, didn't Dabo Swinney rank Ohio State 16th? on his 11th. But, I 11th? mean, <laughs> there's no good reason to rank them below 5th, maybe 6th. Unless you're just trying to prove that, that goes to my point is like everybody's a fucking idiot here. <laughs> Everybody, I mean, these are human. Like, did you see the picture of them? They gathered into in uh, a conference. Wait, what? Yeah, they gathered all the, the the committee, the college football playoff committee, gathered uh, in a shitty hotel ballroom in the middle of nowhere, Texas, to watch the games on Saturday when they could do the exact same thing from the comfort of their own homes. They all sat on banquet tables and shitty folding chairs and watched the games on projectors um, in the world's saddest wedding venue. So 
Like, there is no rhyme or reason. They could do this all on Zoom. They they could watch the games from the comfort of their own homes and then have a conference call afterwards and get this over with. Like, I, I just don't – they used to do this. I think, you know, Spencer Hall has been joking all year on Twitter that they literally used to do this by telegraph. And <laughs> to, to, to better effect, to better results. And it, it's just like if you, you're taking all – sort of common sense out of the equation when you were <clears throat> trying to justify why Iowa State is being ranked ahead of Coastal Carolina despite, you know, Coastal Carolina being undefeated, beating the team that beat Iowa State. Um, and they were ranked, what, like 10 spots higher? Like, you know, everybody's being sort of – I'm getting very resistance Twitter vibes. from the <laughs> Like Nicole Auerbach, I mean – She's calling it an invitational and not a playoff now. And it I, is, though. But I mean, yes, it is. I, I think just letting Notre Dame in is the dumbest thing of our lifetime in this very dumb sport. Like, they just had the chance to beat the number one team. You're going to let them get do that again? Like, why? Why do they get the, the opportunity to do it again already? Like, that just flies in the face of any sort of common sense uh, whatsoever. And I won't even buy, like, they're doing it for money or for dollars because that game's going to get tons of eyeballs no matter who, who you put in there against Alabama. Like, it's a college football playoff during COVID. Like, everybody's watching. The, what else? I realize sports across the board have taken a dip. But, like, it, uh, the money, I don't think, is a good good enough reason um, in these uncertain times, uh, even though it might be as good a reason as any because everybody's hurting. But I can't imagine that the the, the dollars they'd be seen by including – uh, Notre Dame over even like Texas A&M just it, it doesn't make any sense and I don't think A&M should be there either for what it's worth yeah I mean that's the thing it's like okay if not Notre Dame then who like Texas A&M no I don't want to see that rematch uh, Oklahoma well, it's like, uh, wouldn't you rather see Florida in no I wouldn't rather see Florida they've lost three games so you have to go down to eight Cincinnati before I'm like oh you know what that actually makes sense and like I just the, th- the thing is like Alabama is so good; they're going to be a twenty-point favorite against anyone. And That's why not, not just throw a bone to the group of five in this year, quote unquote, trying times? Right? Like, why not just do it this year with Cincinnati and be like, "See, you guys can get into the playoff, and see what happens when you do get into yeah. the playoff." It's the easiest thing to do. Then the you brought the spread. That's that was my argument too. Is like. You're going to have, I think it's 20 and a half against Notre Dame. Is that it? Uh, I saw, I'm, I thought I saw it 19 and a half. It is, I, I think it is the eyeballing this. It is the biggest spread of. It's the biggest spread ever. It opened at 17. This year. It's the biggest spread of any football game this year. And then second is Iowa at 15 for, for bowl games. Well, it's the biggest spread. It's the biggest spread ever in college football playoff history. Whatever seven-year history, it opened at seventeen. It got as high as twenty and a half. Now it's back to nineteen and a half. And that I think that's the argument is like, what would the spread be against Cincinnati? Would it be? It'd be what? It would be in the twenty. It would be around this, right? It'd be in the twenty, like twenty-one, twenty-two. Like, what's the fucking difference? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, the difference. I want to get to is thirty that, with Coastal Carolina. Like, you want to get out. When you, I don't think it'd be as high as twenty eight even, because like that offense is weird enough where you don't know what. I mean, it's Alabama, but it's like, yeah, 
the, the, I think the spreads are telling a story in this particular equation. It's like you can understand Ohio State Clemson for sure, but if you're putting up a lamb against Alabama, at least let that lamb be willing. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I think, yeah. I mean, I just I just get come back to it with Notre Dame is like we saw them against top competition this year, right? I mean, that's that's the just the thing for me is we saw them play Clemson twice. It took overtime against Clemson's QB to get the win at home in front of fans. And then Clemson had their starting quarterback and blew the brakes off them. I mean, like, what are we doing? And that's why I go back to Texas a and I don't want to see that game. I don't want to see Florida. Oklahoma, you could sell me on a little bit, but I'm not thrilled about that. I just say this is the year to just say, group of five, you have a chance to get in. And I don't buy any of the hocus pocus about like, well, Cincinnati should have scheduled someone. Should they? Would, would, they, would anyone have been a willing recipient to play Cincinnati this year? I don't think so. Um, short of, you know, a, a cobbled together game like BYU Coastal Carolina. I don't think there is a real shot of that happening. Um, well, so that's another thing too. We don't know if Cincinnati tried to schedule a game. Uh, I know exactly. where it had the chance. Like we don't know how hard they tried. Like apparently Georgia tried kind of hard to play Iowa this past weekend, but Kirk already sent the boys home, you know? So we don't really know the behind the scenes things going on with teams trying to control their own destinies. Um, so, and, and my, my point with Florida earlier was that we saw Florida, you know, the score wasn't as close as it was with, in the Alabama game, but we saw them play Alabama close still. Like, yeah. do, do you think Notre Dame's going to play Alabama that close? No. So that, that, I mean, that's my argument is like, you know, despite the three losses, I'd rather see, I just think Florida's a better fucking team after that, after this past weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the, the dreaded eye test. Where, where right. to me, it just it just comes down to what does their jersey say? Because like I, I think that the the take I've had is if you put like Iowa in an Ohio State jersey playing six and two, they're a New Year's Six bowl team. If you put Iowa in the Ohio State jersey, or excuse me, Ohio State in the Iowa jersey, there's no way a six and zero Iowa team is sniffing the college football playoff, in my opinion. Even if they look as good as they did in their last six games, which I think is really good, and I think, you know, kind of kind of bring it back around. What we said last week, though, didn't we say that the Big Ten would bend over backwards to get its boy in the playoff? For we didn't. Be, well, at least for Ohio State, and I think Barta, Barta took one on the chin by, uh, I think that was the, the price it was not getting another New Year's Six team in. Um, not to oh, be super conspiratorial. When you're talking about threading the needle, I mean, I, I told you that. Yeah. They weren't trying to thread the needle with Michigan-Iowa. Yeah. yeah. Indiana just got screwed. It, yeah, I mean. There's nothing he could have done there either. Yeah, short of trying to get uh, UNC out of there. Um, and like – this is just kind of what brings it it all back around to kind of what a sham this college football season has been is here's UNC playing in the biggest college football game they've had maybe in their history, certainly their recent history. And you have three of their best players that are opting out. Now, is this the new normal 
where even if teams get invited to an Orange Bowl that's outside of the playoff, they're still opting out. Who knows? But at least in this year, as this data point, it's super disenchanting as a college football fan to see teams and they all have their reasons. I'm not discounting their reasons, but it's just disenchanting to be like, okay, these, these games ultimately don't really mean anything even to the players involved, which is fine. Um, but it's, you know, how can we make these games mean more? And maybe they can't, but it's, um, it's tough. Maybe it just comes back to pay the players and, and, you know, they can have a nice little hundred thousand dollar bonus for, <laughs> for playing in one of these games. I mean, maybe that's just all it comes down to is having a booster pay these guys to, to play the games um, when they otherwise would not, which ugh, is what it is. I, but, you know, who knows? I mean, yeah, I'm not sure if that's the answer, but maybe it is. We haven't tried it yet, or we haven't tried it. We haven't tried it since the '80s, so let's revisit it. Oh boy, oh boy. Well, I, I think that's that's a good place to leave it for now, Ben. We'll go ahead and pick up um, chatting about the Purdue game. Uh, hopefully, it's a win. I am optimistic, but we'll see. We'll talk about the Purdue game on the flip side. <clears throat> Are these the baby boilers? Welcome back to the Pants Party. Ben, Iowa just beat Purdue 70-50 to in what was a classic Big Ten affair, if I do say so myself, uh, well below Iowa's scoring output the rest of the season. But a win is a win. I'm not going to complain, even if I'm a little lighter in the wallet. Uh, but it, <laughs> it was good. Um, Luca Garza, 22 points. Joe Wieskamp, 17 Um I know we have some things to nitpick, but really a, a, a strong showing from uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes here this evening. Yeah, 70-55, um, not 70-50, whatever, not a big deal. You got oh, it right in the recap. <laughs> you got it right in the recap. That's all that matters. I mean, <laughs> I'll be honest, like, this game was boring. It, Garza had a quiet 20 points to move himself up to number three all-time scoring. Cannot believe. I know – I've definitely looked at it before this year. I cannot believe Aaron White's number two. I had apps like, of course I knew that, but like, I, I simply cannot believe it. Uh, and he'll probably get to Stokes's record. Um, honestly. And that'll be really exciting to see. Um, he's only a couple hundred away from uh, getting there. I think four or 500. If I did the back of the napkin math, which is, you know, <laughs> weird to say, I don't even know how many games are left this year, but I, if he, if he holds on to his pace, he'll shatter it. Um, and mm-hmm. then without knowing how many posts and games there are. Uh, like I said, a little bit of boring. This definitely is not the same Purdue team that I think we're used to seeing. Like you were saying that uh, earlier on the same podcast, I promise. You were saying uh, Edie was a guy to maybe look out for. And he, you know, he looks like he's got cement in his shoes, but he's a young guy. Uh, and then there's just nobody. I can't even remember anybody else's name on Purdue they just it was it wasn't you know we just sort of really outclassed him at, I was listening to France post game momentarily before we hopped on and uh France was by far the best defensive performance of the season um 
I don't know if that is a function of who you're playing. I don't know enough about Purdue, but I don't think they're that bad. I mean, I, I, I think Matt Painter is a great coach. I trust his construction of this roster um, and holding any Big Ten team to just 55 points. That's not named Nebraska. is impressive. So, got him. Uh, <laughs> Whenever you can. Exactly. And it just honestly made me more excited for, like, the Minnesota game and just seeing how what we do to more Big Ten competition. Yeah, house divided on Friday, Ben, um, for, I, I for you. I don't know how we're going to, like, I'm just hoping that, like, my mom is going to be so exhausted by 7 p.m. because it's a late game <laughs> that she's going to let me watch it. Because, I mean, Christmas is always very early ordeal at her household and like the baby will be in bed by seven anyway my sister's baby will so uh i mean i will be able to watch it but i would like to be kind of christmas rowdy for it (laughs) for sure i mean i think the thing about the purdue team is um they're just really up and down offensively um i think that the thing i was most concerned about was giving up the three-point line um, Purdue on the season's a uh, 38, 39% shooting team on the year. Iowa, I think, did a really nice job of limiting their open looks. Now, they did have looks and they missed them. Um, that's basketball. We experienced mm-hmm. it on Saturday, right? Um, but if you're giving them open looks as they're running through 25, 30 seconds of offense – it's different than if you're giving up open looks within two or three passes. And I think Iowa did a really good job defensively of not just giving up the two or three pass um, shot, but making them run clock. And there were a number of times where Purdue had that stupid three that went in um, as the shot clock was hitting zero. Um, One bank at least. And that's frustrating, but I think, having those happen is better than just giving up clean looks five seconds into a shot clock. So um, I was overall very pleased and, and it's hard not to be pleased. Um, the The thing I was watching a lot of off the ball was CJ Frederick and Iowa's defense on Sasha Stefanovic in particular. And I thought they did a really nice job of not letting him get any clean like handoffs um, he, he had a couple open shots that, um, missed, but if you're not letting them get into a rhythm regularly, then, you know, you, you live with it. He ultimately had eight points, two of six shooting from three. Um, and I, I think what's most indicative of the work that CJ Frederick did is, uh, our least favorite statistic plus minus where CJ Frederick was a team high, um, plus, 25 in what feels like um considering i think the rest of the team is kind of in the low to mid teens i don't have it right on me but um yeah the next highest is 13 jack nunji um man i mean that's that's a an impressive number to play um to put up in in ultimately kind of a, a weird stat but i think at least in this case pretty indicative of what frederick brought to the table as a an all-around player. Five assists, too. I didn't notice that when I was writing the recap. Uh, yeah, exactly. First of all, it's my least favorite stat. It's your favorite, so don't say our least favorite. <laughs> um, Collectively. I think 
Lysa, I'm pretty sure it's Lysa Cow on Twitter was saying, you know, CJ Fredder needs to be more selfish with the ball. And then he had back-to-back assists, I think, uh, on the possession. So it's, <laughs> I mean, uh, that just speaks to um, sort of how good he is. I mean, plus, uh, I was making fun of the plus 25 stat as much as I can, but like, or uh, plus my stat as much as I can, but plus 25 is, that's jaw-dropping. Uh, really, mm-hmm. that's, uh, that, that's incredible. And for only scoring six points and still posting that up is, um, with, again, with the five assists, but that, that, that just goes to show what, what he does for this team, you know, for, there are moments tonight, even like looking back, um, I wasn't prepared to start this argument on Twitter or here, but it's like there are more and more. I think we're starting to see, God, this is a take I wish I'd formulated in my head before, but, uh, but we're seeing a guy like Joe Wieskamp maybe look like a better player uh, than Luca Garza, I guess, because of what he's able to do. I don't know. Luca Garza just does everything on his own. <laughs> Whereas Joe Wieskamp uses the pieces around him uh, to look like like a real NBA prospect, I guess. Garza just muscles in, just uses sheer talent to yes. see what he does. And Wieskamp, not just finesse, but just uses every tool in his toolbox, like uh, off dribble, threes, driving, being in the right place, right time, and then uh, hand checking on defense and all of that too. He he's looking like if it wasn't for Garza, I think we'd be absolutely singing praises of Wieskamp, I guess is my overall point. We would be, there'd be, you know, if this is a non COVID year, there'd be wheezy t-shirts, a student section yeah. and uh, <laughs> you know, you know, things like that. We'd be sort of con- you constructing our fandom around Wieskamp and we're not simply because we have the greatest Iowa basketball player of all time on the roster right now. I think what Wieskamp is doing is he's being the best complimentary player that he can be. And mm-hmm. I think what what we saw him do a lot of today was just be incredibly strong and in making cuts, going up quickly with the ball against a team with length uh, like Purdue. Um, you know, he really didn't get to the foul line much, um, but well, I guess four for four, I was uh, best guy there. Um but he didn't have the three-point shot, and I think what he's done a great job of this year, especially the last four or five games, is one, he's you've just seen that kind of a different intensity from him rebounding the ball especially. He's always had that skill, um, but it seems like he's much more uh, assertive getting it and then just dribbling up the court, especially against a team like Purdue who likes to press the, the point guard, um, and then just like you said, using all the tools in his toolbox. Um, Six of 13, just a a made shot off of Garza. Um, Garza, who was seven of 14 and four of eight from three. It's like this, it it felt like Garza was a little underutilized, but then you look at the end of the day, 22 points, nine rebounds, um, drew six fouls. uh, (laughs) I mean, four of eight from three, and this guy is seven feet tall. It's just it. He's made the greatness look so routine that it is just I can't get over it. Um, because I think maybe that's your point with with 
comparing Garza and Wieskamp is we're starting to see Wieskamp look at better and better, but Garza just performed at this high level for so long that um, it seems like Wieskamp is slowly climbing there because to me, he had kind of an NBA type performance tonight where um, shot wasn't falling, but he did all the little things and really helped Iowa win uh, against a team that I was really struggled against the last two to three years. <laughs> really struggled. I was really scared about this game. Uh, I God, I hate to keep talking about like that Wisconsin team, but it's like is is Wieskamp? Who was it wasn't it wasn't Sam Decker behind Kaminsky? Who was the other one? Uh, That's Nigel Hayes. Um, not Nigel. I'm not thinking of Nigel. Maybe I'm thinking of Sam Decker. You are thinking people, of Decker. Yeah. People were saying Decker was would have it was the better pro pro prospect, and now Decker's in like the Turkish league, and Frank is yeah. still fly, floating around the league, right? Um, so I guess maybe there there is uh, that sort of just the player behind the player type of deal, mm-hmm. but it's like you know, does Ken Palm track? rebounds from eight feet away from the basket when a ball hoops. Cause I think Wieskamp would be leading the nation in that. I, I think that's a great thing. I would love to know is like how far away he's getting his rebounds. Cause he's getting those high rebounds that are normally. He is jumping. From the free th- he's jumping from the free throw line on every single rebound. And he's coming down with them. He, he's, he's been playing his best basketball of his career. I, I, I think he's, he's like he a completely different, different player since the end of last year. I know we were a little scared at the beginning of the season because he looked like ah, a little sideways. Um, mm-hmm. Our favorite Fran term, my favorite Fran term. Um, but uh, he's he's been great. And I think that there's really not much to complain about tonight except for just – it's we're, we're going to complain about the rotations all year because yes. Yeah. There's enough to complain about. It seems asinine for Joe Toussaint to play just 11 minutes when he impacted the game in almost every single second he was on the floor with his speed. He set Keegan Murray up just phenomenally with a couple that was of so pretty. Yeah. And I just, 11 minutes. There has to be a way to get him more playing time. Uh, he's going to be the starter next year, but man, it just seems like he's he's the guy. Maybe it's just matchup-based um, where he might flex up, but it's, the starting point for him needs to be 18 minutes, in my opinion. Well, the frustrating thing with Joe is he can play the one or the two, and the guys who are playing started at one and two tonight. Neither of them were playing very well. One was playing poorly. I would say. Um, and you can look at the box score and figure out who I'm talking about. And it, I don't think he should start. I don't think Joe should start necessarily. Maybe not yet. I don't think so. But, and I, and I think, I, I think there's definitely more, maybe more value in his game right now, being the guy off the bench, providing that spark. But 11 minutes is just, it's, it's sort of roster malpractice. Uh, I think, especially like this is the game where you let him play. 25 minutes. You let him play, you know, 10 minutes in the second half alone um, just because of the way you have other guys. And like I said, you can insert him at two different positions in this offense because that's what he did last year. And I just, it, it's really frustrating because there are times he, he's got the skill set like um, nobody else can cut like he can uh, on this team. Nobody can. And when you have, when you want your your one to cut or your two to shoot, and neither of them are doing that tonight, 
and you have one of them on the, and then there's a guy who can do one of those two things who's still on the bench. Why are you not playing him? It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I, I think ultimately kind of what I look at it, the, the only thing that makes sense, I think, is just wanting to play McCaffrey, Connor McCaffrey, as much as possible at the four spot so that he can bring the ball up and initiate the offense. But yeah, I mean, just looking at Joe, Joe T's numbers and seeing that he's got the least number of minutes, uh, two turnovers. I, mean, I think one of them was a little silly. Um, but yes, it just feels weird. I only remembered one turnover, and ESPN only has one turnover, so that might get corrected in the Iowa stats he's got, too. Um, not that that's you know, a make-or-break type of deal. It, I just think, did you just say you know, Fran will correct itself or this will correct itself over time? Because I kind of believe that. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's just going to come down to matchups with Tucson. Um, I, I think that's ultimately what it's going to be. Um, you know, Bohannon finished three of eight from three. That's what he's there to do. I thought Bohannon looked fine defensively. Um, you know, whatever work Stefan was done on Stefanovic, he was part of it. There were times where he fought over screens. Um, I, I think it just kind of let the matchups dictate it. If I was, you know, if I was tied and Bohannon is playing poorly and there's Joe Tucson who's had a great game who can get to the rim on uh, a pick and roll with ease, then, you know, it makes sense to go with him a little bit, but when you're up 15 and you kind of have your rotations, I guess that's just kind of how it is. Um, Cause I, I was just trying to do the simple math of like what adds up to 40 and it's basically Tucson's getting the minutes that Bohannon isn't, playing because 28 46 plus 11 14 equals 40 and what that looks like is basically Fran's playing Bohan in seven minute stretches at the beginning of beginning and end of each half so Tucson's kind of sucking up um the middle part of the game I I don't know I don't know what the answer is um other than to play him more I, I think yeah you have to play B more willing to play uh, Bohannon and Connor at the same time. But, man, he, he impacts the game. He's just a general pest on defense in a way that maybe only Keegan Murray is like. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I know we're kind of running up against the edge. But really, to me, just a great team win. Um, we can argue about the margins, but I think ultimately you you score the least number of points Iowa scored all season, and they come away with a 15-point victory. And really – Hard to be hard to be mad about that at all because everyone's coming out of the Gonzaga game angry about Iowa's defense. Well, there's 55 points yeah, against exactly. the team that was top 35 according to Ken Palm. How how you like them apples? Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's what that's what I was gonna say about the low scoring. I mean, you take it when you're holding the other team to under 60 like every single time. You know, sorry that your betting account took a hit, um, but then them's the breaks. Well, we, we we did this just in time, and we've got Ken Palm updated. Iowa is now uh, the 62nd best offense or defense in the country. So that is uh, and what was know, it before? Exciting. Uh, I think they were in the 90s, if I'm not mistaken. He, he updates it that quickly. 
Yeah, uh, I think there's like a new batch that goes in every 30 minutes to an hour. Well, I'm so sure I, I got I'm it. Sure, I'm sure it's an algorithm where he just takes a box score, right? And it feeds it in and it spits it out. Yep, uh, yep. Ken Pomber, are you? I know, crazy, crazy guy. Iowa gave up just three free throws tonight. Like, <laughs> incredible, incredible. Really? And even, yeah. what was the... Well, we were just looking at this. What was, was this the least amount of threes they've given up all year, too? Uh, eight. I uh, maybe I don't know. I can't. I think I, you you lamented that for a moment earlier, and it's like you you take eight eight for twenty five every single night. Oh yeah. Um, especially considering just how that game played out. It was only sixty five possessions, which is well below what Iowa normally plays. So, um. You take that, especially yeah. You know when when you shoot thirty percent of them, and it's not one guy who's going off. Yeah, you take you take that. Mm-hmm. So, I guess that is it, Ben. Until uh, whether we chat after the Minnesota game or just save that conversation for our our Sunday or Monday normal time. Um, I, I guess that that does it for this episode of the Pants Party. Any closing thoughts? Um. Gingerbread's underrated. Big big fan. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I haven't I haven't had gingerbread in a while. Are, are you, yeah, like, neither had I. It's not a common Christmas cookie at our household, but there is a plate of them waiting to greet me today, and that was like it was really, really good. Well done, Mrs. Ross. Well yeah. we'll, we'll talk about the, we'll talk about those to open open the podcast next time. So yeah, we'll do our uh, cookie ratings. <laughs> For Ben Ross, I'm Harrison Starr. Go Hawks. Goodbye.